Good day to you all out there. I hope you all had a good week and that everything went well for you throughout this week. Almost every day I remember what it was like about one and a half year ago when uh, before the uh, pandemic hit us of the opportunity we had to meet one another and speak to one another and hug one another, shake hands with each other. And one of the other things that I miss a lot is the opportunity to speak to a live audience where everyone is there listening carefully, animated, uh, giving this audience feedback that makes it much more easier to, for the speaker to, to convey the message better than otherwise. But after, since somewhere around January of last year, everything stopped and I had to switch to uh, the new technology that we have and speak to a camera. And I thought I was getting used to it till one day my, one of my children told me, Daddy, smile more when you come on camera. And you know, I began to, don't I smile? And I really do when I have a live audience. But it is hard to smile at a camera because it doesn't smile back at you. If I was to smile to an audience or to even one person and I did not get a smile back, I would be insulted. But I had to get used to the fact that even though I'm speaking to a camera, there are people behind that camera that are listening to the message and seeing my face and seeing what I'm doing, even though I can't see them. We have gone through in this last roughly one and a half year, we've gone through a, a lot of hardship, a lot of difficulties. The world has changed from what it used to be to what it is now. Uh, I read just recently about a man here in India who is going through very hard times because of the pandemic. He has lost his job when the pandemic hit his travel agency. He and his wife and family had rented a house or were living in a rented house. But after he lost his job and he lost his earnings, he was living on his savings and wondering how long those savings would last. He had hoped that the pandemic would go away in a few months, but almost one and a half years gone by with no signs of abating. His landlord reduced his rent, but that was also a small relief. He knew that if he did not get a job soon, he would not be able to pay the rent and he would be homeless. He had taken all the necessary precautions to protect himself and his family. But if he lost his home, he would be exposed to the virus and more, all the other things out there that he and his family would face. His life seemed out of control and the future was grim. He felt that if he had reached, if he ever reaches the stage of being homeless and jobless, Maybe death from the virus would be a welcome relief. He is fearful, frustrated and confused. He wondered if God was in control of this world that had lost control of, its, of, it, of itself. The story of this man is a story of many who are living in this pandemic world today. Even the rich 
are feeling the strain. And the question on everyone's mind is, what's happening to this world and why? How can we survive this unprecedented situation that is plaguing us? Is there any hope for the future? Well, I can tell you something right up front. And as I go through what I'm going to go through today, hopefully that hope will be in you and it will not die. There is hope because God is in control. God sent His Son Jesus Christ to this world to give us hope. We have the Bible not just to give us knowledge, but hope for the future because God is in control. Nothing can happen without His will. Let us always remember that. We are told by Jesus in speaking of the sequence of events that will lead to His return. And let's go to the scripture in Matthew chapter 24, verses 32 to 35. Matthew 24, verses 32 to 35. He says, take a lesson from the fig tree. From the moment, and this is from the Message Bible that we quote here, from the moment we notice its buds form, the merest hint of green, we know summer is just around the corner. So if it is with you, when you see all these things, you'll know he's at the door. Don't take this lightly. I'm not just saying this for some future generation, but for all of you. This age continues until all these things take place. Sky and earth will wear out. My words won't wear out. Jesus was confirming many of the prophecies of the prophets of old, all who focused on one fact that God is in control. He will bring to pass all the events he's forecasted because he is in control. He therefore tells us not to fear. The future is an unknown factor in our minds. We all tend to fear the unknown. Daniel did. Let us continue with our study of Daniel's prophecies and see what we can make of it. When we study the book of Daniel, we say, take it to heart. Remember your history. Your long and rich history. And basically, Isaiah is talking to the people of Israel, the people of Judah, who had forgotten God. And he was warning them, and he calls them rebels, and he's warning them that what you are doing is not good. You are going to suffer as a result of that. And he's telling you what God says. He says, I am God, the only God you ever had. And ever will have, incomparable, irreplaceable, from the very beginning telling you what the end will be, all along letting you in on what is going to happen, assuring you, I am in this for the long haul, I will do exactly what I set out to do, calling that eagle Cyrus out of the east from a far country, the, uh, the man I chose to help me. I said it, and I'll almost certainly do it. I planned it, so it is as good as done. So let us remember that what is happening in the world today, 
God knows about it. And he's going, going to, to do what, what he's planned to do. On the surface, Daniel seemed to be in full control of his life and the responsibilities of ruling a great nation. But under this saw exterior was a troubled man, having dreams and visions he did not fully understand. And here was Daniel, a man who interpreted the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had. But the dreams he received, he only got partially an understanding of it. Something was missing. So many questions he had that he did not have answers for. Let us study today Daniel chapter 8. Daniel chapter 8. And we'll stay with Daniel till the end of this message. There'll be other scriptures I'll be quoting, but we'll, we'll stay with Daniel uh, 8. Daniel 8 chapter uh, verses 1 to 14. He says, In King Belshazzar's third year as king, another vision came to me, Daniel. This was now the second vision. In the vision I saw myself in Susa, the capital city of the province Elam, standing at the Ulai Canal. Looking around, I was surprised to see a ram also standing at the gate. The ram was, had two huge horns, one bigger than the other, but the bigger horn was the last to appear. I watched as the ram charged, first, first west, then north, then south. No beast could stand up to him. He did just as he pleased, strutting as if he were king of the beast. While I was watching this, wondering what... Excuse me one minute. Yeah. While I was watching this, wondering what it all meant, I saw Billy Goat with an immense horn in the middle of its forehead, looking up out of the west and flying across the whole country, not once touching the ground. The billy goat approached the double horned ram that I had earlier seen standing at the gate and enraged charged it viciously. I watched as mad with rage it charged the ram and hit it so hard that it broke off its two horns. The ram didn't stand a chance against it. The billy goat knocked the ram to the ground and stomped all over it. Nothing could have saved the ram from the goat. Then the billy goat swelled to enormous size. At the height of its power, its immense horn broke off and four other big horns sprouted in its place, pointing to the four points of the compass. And then from one of these big horns, another horn sprouted. I started, it started small, but then grew to an enormous size, facing south and east towards lovely Palestine. The horn grew tall, reaching to the stars, the heavenly army, and threw some of the stars to the earth and stomped on them. It even dared to challenge the power of God, prince of the celestial army. And then it threw out daily worship and desecrated the sanctuary, as judgment against their sins, the holy people of God got the same treatment as the daily worship. 
The horn cast God's truth aside. High-handed, it took over everything and everyone. Then I heard two angels saying, talking. One asked, How long is what we see here going to last? The abolishing of the daily worship, this devastating judgment against sin, the kicking around of God's holy people and the sanctuary? The other answered, over the course of 2,300 sacrifices, evening and morning. Then the sanctuary will be set right again. At the time of this dream, Daniel was living under the Persian Empire and the Persian King. Daniel was spiritually transported to Susa, which eventually became the capital of the Persian Empire. I'm just giving you a little background and history of that period of time so that you can put yourself in Daniel's shoes and see to some extent what he saw and why he was so puzzled and so worried about what was going to happen in the future. It, this particular place, Susa, it was to the north of the Persian Gulf and it is what we know today as Kuwait. It was the home of Esther in 460 BC Nehemiah in 445 BC. In 550 BC, there was nothing in Susa. Daniel did not live during the time of Alexander the Greek and his invasion of the Persian Empire. Therefore, even after being given an interpretation of the dream of the ram and the goat, which he was given by angel Gabriel, he did not understand what was going on. The ram with the two horns was the Medes and the Persians and we talked about this in the previous prophecy of Daniel and also in the whole book of Daniel. The larger horn was the Persians who came, uh, uh, the Persians who came later. Media was the major power which helped the Babylonian, Babylonians conquer Assyria in 612 BC. At that time the Persians were not known in this in the world the the little horn th that became the uh, bigger in per uh, became bigger and that was persia the persian empire was captured by alexander the greek in 334 bc alexander's conquest was swift and represented by the billy goat that moved so swiftly that it appeared as if his feet did not touch the ground the Jewish writer Josephus shares a fascinating, fascinating incident about Alexander. As Alexander and his army approached Jerusalem to destroy the second temple built by Jerubabal and the city built by Ezra and Nehemiah, the high priest went out with a scroll of Daniel 8 and explained to Alexander that his army, the goat, was destined by God of the Hebrews to conquer the ram, which is Persia. Alexander was so impressed that instead of destroying the city, because that's what he came there for, he actually enriched the city. He gifted a lot of things to the city and then went on to capture Egypt. He left uh, Jerusalem untouched. Alexander was so successful in his mission, uh, in his military mission, that he reached the borders of India. All this in just four years. Alexander died 
at the age of 33 at the height of his power. It is believed that he drank too much one night during a banquet and drowned in his vomit. His kingdom was in chaos for 22 years before four generals emerged. Cassander took Greece, Lysimachus took Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey, Ptolemy took Egypt and Utopia, and Seleucus took Babylon and Assyria, which is Syria today. Israel became a buffer between the Egyptians and the Seleucus dynasty. Daniel chapter 8 verse 9 speaks about a little horn. Many scholars believe that the little horn was Antiochus Epiphanes. He had no claim on the throne but took it by treachery. And again, we'll go to those scriptures that so clearly and so lucidly explains everything that actually happened in history long before it actually happened in prophecy. He rose to great heights and became the eighth ruler of the Seleucus dynasty. He sought to destroy the religion of the Jews and introduce Greek culture and worship. Daniel 8 verses 10 to 12 indicates that his atrocities reached the high heavens. He forced the Jews to worship him. He took away the daily sacrifice, desecrated the sanctuary, outlawed circumcision, the Sabbath, temple sacrifice, and the possession and the reading of scripture. He slaughtered 80,000 Jews on a single occasion and sold 40,000 into slavery, plundered the temple, dedicated the temple to his idols, and forced the priests to eat pork, which was banned by the Jews. He promoted the worship of Zeus, Bacchus, and Saturn, established prostitution in the temple chambers. He placed an image of Zeus in the temple, which looked like himself, sacrificed the pig and sprinkled its blood and guts all around the holy place, and repeated it every month. No other emperor ever did what this man did to the sanctuary and to the temple of the Jews. The Bible calls this act abomination that causes desolation. And you'll find that many times mentioned in the Bible. What it means is that because of what Antiochus Epiphanes did, it forced the Jews to desert the temple, causing desolation. So it was a very grievous act on the part of Antiochus Epiphanes. Finally, Judas Maccabees and his sons rose in revolt and led the people of Israel to retake Jerusalem, cleanse the sanctuary and restore the offerings. The rededication of the temple was done on December 14, 164 BC. That day is celebrated even today as Hanukkah. Let us go on to read Daniel chapter 8 verses 15 to 26 where we see the interpretation of the, of the first part of, of Daniel's dream. While I, Daniel, was trying to make sense of what I was seeing, suddenly there was a human-like figure standing before me. Then I heard a man's voice from over by the Ulai canal calling out, Gabriel, 
tell this man what is going on, explain the vision to him. He came up to me, that is Angel Gabriel, but when he got close, I became terrified and fell face down on the ground. He said, understand that this vision has to do with the time of the end. As soon as he spoke, I fainted, my face in the dirt, but he picked me up and put me on, on my feet. And then he continued, I want to tell you what is going to happen as the judgment day of wrath winds down, for there is going to be an end to all this. The double-horned ram you saw stand, uh, stands for the two kings of the Medes and the Persians, which Daniel understood because he was living during that time. The billy goat stands for the kingdom of the Greeks. The huge horn on his forehead is the first great king or Greek king, which was Alexander, which had not yet, this, this prophecy had not yet come to pass. The four horns that sprouted after it was broken off are the four kings that come after him, but without his power. And those were the four kings that I mentioned a little earlier. As their kingdoms cool down and rebellion heat up, a king will show up, hard-faced, a master trickster, which is Antiochus Epiphanes. His power will swell enormously. He'll talk big, high-handedly, doing whatever he pleases, knocking off heroes and holy ones left and right. He'll plot and scheme to make crime flourish and know how it will flourish. He'll think he's invincible and get rid of anyone who gets in his way. But when he takes on the prince of, of all princes, he'll be smashed to bits, but not by human hands. This vision of the 2,300 uh, sacrifices evening and morning is accurate, but confidential. Keep it to yourself. It refers to the far future. When you look at this whole scenario, we can begin to get some idea of what is happening here and how these prophecies or some of these prophecies have come to pass. And we can see the accuracy uh, and, uh, and the clarity in, in, in what happened and how clear these prophecies were and how they came to pass in its minutest details. Daniel's dream fits in in with the events of the past, present and the future, as I said earlier, with amazing accuracy. And this could not be the work of man, but of the all-powerful God that controls everything. Nothing is a surprise to God and nothing is beyond His control. Whatever may happen in this world, God is always on top of it. Nothing can thwart His plans. Daniel had a glimpse of the future and it was scary. He wanted to know more as what he saw left him with many unanswered questions. The destruction of the temple of Jerusalem now, at the time when Antiochus Epiphanes was there, he did not destroy the temple, he only desecrated it, the temple that was built by Jerubabel. The ultimate destruction of the temple came to pass in 70 AD under the Romans. The destruction of the temple in Jerusalem in 70, 70 AD prophesied by Jesus as recorded in Matthew 24 verses 1 to 3 
indicated the end of the physical temple and the emergence of the spiritual temple, that is the church. The disciples who were with him, questioning him about the end times, could not imagine the destruction of the temple. Because the temple was, was, was great, it was beautiful, it was renovated by Herod the Great. The same temple that was built by Jerubabel. And they could not understand how it could ever be destroyed. It was so strong, so the walls were so thick that there was no way they thought it could be destroyed. To them the destruction of a temple, and it also had a spiritual significance here, the destruction of a temple would have been a signal of the end of everything that was Jewish. The government, religion and even culture. Certainly this would be the signal of the end of the age to them. But it was not going to be so. The, that end was still further in history. And then Jesus goes on to tell about the different events that are going to happen in Matthew chapter 24. The temple in Jerusalem was destroyed for the last time, not to be built again, almost 2000 years later. All we have today is the Wailing Wall that actually uh, are the foundation, some of the foundation stones of the of the temple that was destroyed. Uh, the new temple is the church, which is not physical, but spiritual in nature and will last forever. It includes not a building, but it involves all nations and people spread across the entire world. It will be made up and it is actually in the process of the building of being built, built right now of human beings who are then spiritual beings. And that will be the temple. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 19 to 20 talks about it. Ephesians 2 verses 19 to, 20, uh, 19 to 22. That's plain enough, isn't it? You are no longer wandering exiles. The kingdom of fate is now your home country. You are no longer strangers or outsiders. You belong here with as much right to the name Christian as anyone. God is building a home. He is using us all, irrespective of how we got here, in what he is building. He uses, he used the apostles and prophets for the foundation. Now he is using you, fitting you in brick by brick, stone by stone, with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone that holds all the parts together. We see it taking shape day after day, a holy temple built, built by God. All of us built into it, a temple in which God is quite at home. None of the temples that were built before, God was quite at home. And we saw when you looked at the history from the time of Solomon till the time of Jesus Christ, that these temples did not last. They were not expected to last. They were not meant to be given the importance that Jews were given because these were all temporary. There is something that is, hap is happening right now that has greater importance than anything that happened before that. Then Daniel 8 verses 22 to 25 goes on to speak about a stern-faced king. He was to be a master of intrigue, a smooth talker. Actually, he got the kingdom also by intrigue. He, he will be empowered, destructive and successful. He will be deceitful, 
but will be destroyed eventually. Many of the prophecies mentioned in the Bible have a dual fulfillment. Antiochus was a prototype of the Antichrist that is coming in the future. Whatever Antiochus was, the Antichrist will be worse. And that's going to happen sometime in the future. We don't know when, but we know that it's going to happen because God says so. And he's in control of everything. He will be empowered not by God, but by Satan. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 9 says, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 9, The anarchist coming is all Satan's work. All his power and signs and miracles are fake. That means he'll do signs and miracles, but they are not true signs. They are not true miracles. They are all fake. He will be overthrown by God. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 8. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 8. But the time will come when the anarchist, which is the Antichrist, will no longer be held back, but will be let loose. But don't worry, the Master Jesus will be right on his heels and blow him away. The Master appears and puff, the anarchist is out of there. Now the question is, why, why does God allow all these things to happen? Why does he want the whole world to suffer? It doesn't really make sense when you look out at it on the face of it. Why will God allow an Antichrist to rule? An Antichrist that too brought in by Satan to rule and do so much damage with Satan's help. Daniel chapter 8 verse 12 gives us the clue. It, it will be in rebellion, not the Antichrist only, but those who are living during that time that will bring about the things that are going to happen then. Truth will be thrown to the ground. Truth will be abandoned and replaced by falsehood. Our wickedness will suppress the truth because the truth hurts when we are, when we are wicked. Lying, cheating, robbing and killing will be a way of life. When you see the violence that is taking place in the in on this world today, the deception that we find around us, even in top echelons of, of, of government and leaders in all different uh, places, even in religious organizations, even in Christian organizations, let us not be surprised. All these things are going to come to pass. But the end is still ahead. Second Thessalonians chapter two verses eleven to twelve. Second Thessalonians two verses eleven to twelve. And since they are they are no they are so obsessed with evil, and since they are so obsessed with evil, God rubs their noses in it, gives them what they want. Since they refuse to trust truth, they are banished to their chosen world of lies and illusions. So man is going to bring this upon himself. It's not Satan that has to do the job, though he is going to be very much involved, or God having to do anything. Man will do it to himself before God actually intervenes. God sent the Assyrians to destroy the Israelites in his wrath. He sent the Babylonians to defeat Judah. 
God will allow the Antichrist to destroy all who have not believed the truth but delight in wickedness. Romans chapter 1 verses 18 to 23. Romans 1 verses 18 to 23. But God's angry displeasure erupts as acts of human mistrust and wrong, wrongdoings and lying accumulate. As people try to put a shroud over truth. But the basic reality of God is plain enough. Open your eyes and there it is. By taking a long and thoughtful look at what God has created, people have always been able to see what their eyes as such can't see. Eternal power, for instance, and the, and the mystery of His divine being. So nobody has a good excuse. What happened was this. People knew God perfectly well, but when they didn't treat Him like God, refusing to worship Him, him they trivialized themselves into silliness and confusion, so that there was neither sense nor direction left in their lives. They pretended to know it all, but were illiterate regarding life. They traded the glory of God who holds the whole world in his hands for cheap figurines who have who can you, you can buy at any roadside stand that means idols they preferred idols to the true god and it talks here a lot about truth and how important truth is now why is truth so important actually it's so important that our very salvation depends on it if we embrace falsehood, we cannot be saved. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 10 tells us, Second Thessalonians 2 verse 10 tells us, they perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. And what is truth? God's word is truth. John chapter 17 verse 17. Jesus is the truth. John 14 verse 6. Jesus' teachings are truth. John 8 verses 31 to 32. The truth will set you free. John 8 verse 32. Second Thessalonians 2 verse 13 says, Because from the beginning God chose you to be saved through the sanctifying word, work of the Spirit, and true, and true belief in what? The truth. The antidote for the Antichrist is truth. Jesus will overthrow the Antichrist by the breath of his mouth, Daniel's prophecy says, which is the word of God, the truth. If you think about it, when Jesus was confronted with Satan after uh, on the mountain when he, had, uh, when he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, how did Jesus defeat Satan? By telling him the truth from the word of God. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16 Every part of scripture is God-breathed and useful one way or another showing us truth exposing our rebellion correcting our mistakes training us to live God's way Daniel pondered about what he had seen but could not understand all of it he was disturbed and it took him some time to get a grip of himself. 
He ends this chapter in Daniel 8 verse 27 and I'll read from the NI New International Version here. I, Daniel, was exhausted and lay ill for several days. Then I got up and went about the king's business. I was appalled by the vision. It was beyond understanding. Let us remember that Daniel would have given anything to understand the prophecies, the things, the, the dream or vision that he got, but he could not understand. But we have the privilege of understanding Daniel's vision more than Daniel understood it. We know what will happen and what has already happened after the prophecy was given. And we do, but we do not know, again, there are a few things we don't know from the prophecy. We do not know when these events will actually take place, which countries will be involved, or who will be the main characters in this end time drama. We don't know that yet. But when it happens, we will know. We know for sure, one thing, that it will happen. And that God will intervene with power to deliver these people and the world from utter destruction. That is all we know. And that gives us hope in this physical life but we have got much much more hope than what this physical life has to offer us we are promised in revelation chapter 3 verses 10 to 11 revelation 3 verses 11 to, uh, 10 to 11 because you kept my word in passionate patience i'll keep you safe in the time of testing that will be here soon and all over the earth Every man, woman and child put to the test. I am on my way. I will be there soon. Keep a tight grip on what you have. So no one distracts you and steals your crown. What words of hope that God has given us. We are going through a very difficult time that has never happened before in all of world history. But we have the hope that God will intervene. We have the hope that this pandemic will go away. It's not going to stay forever. It may take some time, but it will go away. And we'll go on with our lives. But hopefully we'll live a better life, a life with more understanding than the life we are leading or were leading before the pandemic hit us. Nothing that happens in our world or our lives, however stressful and upsetting it may be, should make us fear because the truth will cast out fear. We can move ahead as Daniel did facing this world, knowing with all our hearts that we have a great future ahead of us. We have great confidence and faith that even if this world goes crazy, God is in control. Nothing that will happen will take him by surprise and everything that he allows to happen in this world is for good. Because God is in control. Let's pray to this great God of heaven who is actively involved in our lives, who is constantly and continually doing things for us, a God that we can approach at any time of the day and night and pray to Him. And prayer is powerful. It can do many things. Let us not forget that prayer is so powerful. That prayer can help us, just like we heard in the short message about prayer, how important it is, how powerful it is, that we can do anything, even the impossible, if we can go to God in prayer and God answers our prayers and does things the way He wants. If that interaction is there with God, we don't have anything to fear.
Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, our most powerful creator, our, our redeemer, who's put us on this earth for a purpose. And that purpose will be served, not only in our lives, but in the lives of all of mankind. We know, Father, that you love all mankind, not just a small group of people, not just Christians, not just the Jews or the Israelites, but you love all of mankind and you want all of mankind to live forever. You do not want anyone to perish. What we see in the world today, Father, is not what you created. That's not what you did. We brought this upon ourselves. We decided to go against you, to rebel against you and do what we want to do, not what you want to do. And you know more than us about how this world operates. And you warned us many times, but we have not taken your warning seriously and gone totally against it. That is why we are facing the things that we are facing today. And just like you said, you are in some ways rubbing our noses into the mess that we have created for ourselves. Not so that we may continue to rub our, uh, rub our nose in the mess and die from it, but so that we will learn. And once we learn, we'll repent and we'll turn to you. You want us to do that because you want to, uh, us to turn to you so that you can embrace us as your sons and daughters. You love us so much and we can see that love in what you've done in sending your son Jesus Christ on this earth to actually die so that we could live. A penalty that we should have paid, you allowed your son to pay that penalty. We thank you for all that you are doing for us, Father. We especially thank you for opening our minds and our hearts as we study the Bible and we study Daniel at the moment, Daniel 8, to show us what is in store for us in, in the future and to show us above all that you are fully in control and nothing can happen without your knowledge and consent. And we know what is happening today. You've consented to it. You're allowed and you're allowing it to happen. And you'll take it away when you think it's time to take it away from us. In the meanwhile, Father, we ask you to help us in whatever way, we, uh, depending upon how we approach you, Father. Help us in whatever way you feel fit to help us. Your will be done in all that happens in this world and in our lives. We thank you for your love and for your deep and abiding concern in us. We thank you for the hope you give us. We thank you for giving us the understanding that you are an all-powerful God that is in control of everything that happens around us and that you will make sure that what you promise will come to pass. We thank you once again for this wonderful opportunity we have to worship you, to, look, to, to study your word and to do so many things with all that you have taught us, Father, so that we may be and live a righteous life. We thank you for, and we ask you to bless this coming week and protect us and help us to, do, to, to glorify you in everything that we do during this week. We thank you once again and ask all this in Jesus' holy and most blessed name. Amen.